0: to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com.
1: Welcome back to a special edition, Greg, of the Free Lunch Podcast. Special, you say? Why? Special is that? edition. Well, because we've got an election coming up in five days when this is out for distribution, five right. days from now. Right. So that's top of mind for a lot of Canadians these days. But last week We talked about, we didn't talk about election. We talked about inflation and interest rates, which have been also top of mind these days because inflation has been running pretty high. That's right. And we talked about last time, whether that high inflation is transitory or whether it's long-term. And we believe it's transitory, that it will correct itself over the next period of time. I had an interesting call this morning with a client and he asked me, well, when's the next market correction? I said, geez, if I knew that, I probably wouldn't be working. I'd just be- Did he want the exact like day and time? or Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So instead we focused our discussion around, well, what's current? Inflation, interest rates, momentum in the stock market, things like that. But he did bring up the impact of the upcoming Canadian election. And we did an episode on this that was for the US election back in, I guess, October of 2020. Yep. We did that episode and we called it, yeah, but it's different this time. And the whole idea was that The elections get a lot of press because they're current when they're happening. And it gets a lot of questions about, well, what will it mean to the stock market? And in the US, our discussion was focused around it really didn't matter if it was a Republican or Democrat in office. So I guess the question in Canada, though, is, I don't know, the same question. Do elections actually affect the stock market? It's interesting when you think about it,
2: think about the US elections. So we already know that the next one is coming up in what is it? November of 24. And they've got some other big elections. Their midterm elections are coming up next year, 2022. You know, in Canada, I mean, we just had one two years ago. This election was just called last month. And so it's a relatively short lead time. And so it's interesting because you think about, well, because our elections are not on a specific date every time, and this one was called after only two years, and we've only got a about a month and a half lead time, so how much impact could that have or does that have on the stock market? So let's talk about that a little bit because a vastly different scenario than in the U.S.
1: Well, and actually, as you point out, it's only been two years. So I guess we could call this a midterm election in Canada. Right? Exactly. <laughs> it's our own version of it. That's right. Just another way to spend, I don't know, $600 million of taxpayers' money is to call an election after two years, right? Well, what the heck. So tell us, do elections affect the Canadian stock market? Interestingly,
2: there was some research done. This goes back to 1993. So it certainly doesn't reflect what's been gone on over the last 25 so years. But they looked at, there was a group at the University of Western Ontario or Western as we refer to it. And they looked at stock market performance during and after the nine federal elections that were held in Canada between 1960 and 1992. And basically, they did find that there was some periods of markets going up during the month of the Canadian elections, regardless of who ultimately won the election. So it seemed that the markets were basically reacting favorably just to the resolution of uncertainty, as opposed to whether or not there was a specific party or platform that seemed to matter that much.
1: That happened in the US in this last election. So in October, leading up to the well, September and October leading up to the US election, the stock markets had a negative return. And then there was a fateful day in November where two things were announced. One was that Biden won the presidency and two that there was a vaccine that had been developed. And it resulted in November being the strongest performing November in stock market history. I mean, it's a bit of a hyper situation compared to what you just talked about, but it's the same thing. It was just that there was resolution to the issue and markets looked at it favorably going forward. Exactly.
2: And so there was another study that actually many listeners might be too young to obviously remember what was going on back in 1990 or the early nineties or late eighties talking about the possible separation of Quebec from Canada and the Meech Lake Accord, that kind of thing. And they looked at whether about news of the possible separation of Quebec from Canada affected market volatility. It did seem that there was some volatility of some individual stocks, depending on those particular firms, the companies, their assets, and the level of their international activities. But there wasn't really a link between the political news and the overall returns or risk in portfolios as a whole. And so that probably speaks more to just the benefit of having a well-diversified asset mix, as opposed to trying to zone in on individual companies and then taking the risks the specific risks that might be relevant to those particular companies.
1: Yeah, because if you have a concentrated position in any company, it could be, I don't know, like a Canadian bank stock. You could feel really good about the fact that the Canadian banking sector is thought of as a pretty strong sector in the world, pays a good dividend, all those things that people like to talk about. And you could still have a concentrated position and lose money if in the short term, if something comes out like what happened recently.
2: That's an interesting point to talk about because in general, what we found over various election cycles and things is the market can be fairly quick to react and also quick to forget. Back about maybe a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago now, part of the platform of the Liberals, the Trudeau Liberals, were that if re-elected, that they might apply some extra taxation to Canadian banks and insurance companies. And there was a pretty quick response with some banks and insurance companies selling off for a couple of days. And then about a week later, things basically got back to normal. So possibly an initial reaction to that, just even talk about adding some extra or specific taxation of banks and insurance companies. But again, it's all talk because in the end, if the liberals win a minority government again, then they have to depend on one of the other parties to support any actions that they may want to take with regards to some specific taxation, it may not come to pass. They may not win a majority or a minority. The conservatives could end up in. And then any discussion of extra taxation for banks and insurance companies
1: would drop away. What about the green party? Do they have a chance at winning the election? Well,
2: I'm not a pollster, (laughs) but my, my guess would be not a great chance of winning the election.
1: Not knocking anybody's political belief system. I mean, it's funny to even talk about this stuff because when we're meeting with clients, two things that we tend not to talk about are politics and religion. Exactly. Because they can be very polarizing discussions. So we we tend not to delve into it. So, you know, it's kind of fun that we're kind of talking about politics today. But getting back to your point about income tax or taxation, do you know when income tax was first collected in Canada? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you. Please do. 1917. That's when it was first established. It was established to help finance the First World War, and it was supposed to be a temporary measure. Seems like we're a hundred and four years into this temporary measure, and tax rates continually go up. Wouldn't that be nice to think that that's a temporary measure? But I don't think so. But let's talk a little bit more about this idea of markets quick to react and quick to forget, because we see it all the time. I mean, look right now, El Salvador announced that Bitcoin was going to be a, I don't know, like a currency that they're going to support as part of their central banking, and they had an issue with something to do with their cryptocurrency platform. And as a result, Bitcoin went down like some drastic amount in one day. So that's a quick to react. And I'm not promoting Bitcoin. I'm just using it as a current headline. Exactly. Because would we ever promote Bitcoin, Greg? No, Colin, we wouldn't. Well, we might, but it depends on your situation, right? (laughs) (laughs) Depends on what your belief system is, I guess. But no, in general, we wouldn't say you should sell everything and buy Bitcoin. We just don't think that there's a lot there currently, but the markets are quick to forget. So even what are some recent stocks that have gone through this? Like you talked about the bank stocks, or I talked about them. Bank stocks went down pretty dramatically in a one or two day period with that announcement from the liberal government on their platform. But within two days, they were back up to exactly where they were two days previous. That was a pretty quick to forget kind of scenario. Now,
2: what about how stock markets have performed based on different parties in power? I mean, that's data that's easy to accumulate, but hard to draw any conclusions from.
1: There is a lot of data around that. I mean, National Bank put out a report on this, and in it, they provide a table of equity market performance from one prime ministerial term to another. So they're looking from Louis Saint Laurent to Justin Trudeau and everybody in between. And I know you got the data in front of you, so I maybe I want to ask you, who do you think, but can you tell the listeners during which prime minister's term did the Canadian stock market have the best performance? I'd be happy to. That was Louis Saint Laurent. Louis Saint Laurent. And that was in 1950... 1949 to 53. Okay. And the market was up like 88%. Exactly. The Canadian market. Yeah. The S&P 500 at that time was up 75%. So what does that tell you? If the Canadian market was up 88% and the S&P 500 was up 75%, it must have been a pretty good period of time to be invested. absolutely Post-war. Yeah. Very good time. Post-World mm-hmm. War II. And, and then the prime minister after Louis St. Laurent was a guy named John Diefenbaker. Did you ever go to the Diefenbaker Center in Saskatoon, by the way, at the University of Saskatchewan? I'm sure I did, but I can't specifically remember. Yeah, it's like a little museum on campus called the Diefenbaker Center. Anyways, I am an
2: alumnus of the University of Saskatchewan, but- I think it came after you. Could be. Yeah, but- Is that ageism, by the way? No. Are you
1: discriminating against me because of my age? That's just math. It's just a fact. All right. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, the stock market, the Canadian stock market, had the worst performing period during Diefenbaker's first term what was it? Negative 22%. Yeah. Negative 22.8%. Well, what changed between St. Laurent's term and Diefenbaker's term? And how did it come back to which prime minister did a better job? It probably had nothing to do with who the prime minister was. It was just a market cycle. Exactly. When you look at
2: various prime ministers' terms and what was going on on the global stage, it's really difficult to logically or intellectually draw any conclusions if you consider some major things that were happening, like let's say, oh, I don't know. Let's say something like the global financial crisis, which occurred during Stephen Harper's conservative minority period. Well, okay. Did the Canadian market crash because of the conservatives being in power or did it crash because there was a global financial crisis? Depends who you talk to. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But let's assume for a minute that that worldwide event would have had a significant impact on,
1: Canadian stocks. And of don't course, don't downplay did. it. The worst financial crisis in our lifetimes. That's right. And Harper just happened to be prime minister at the time. And the president happened to be, I believe, George W. Bush. Is that yeah, right? That's right. We can go through. And as I say, there's lots of data, but getting the
2: data is easy and drawing conclusions from it. And then from there, making investment decisions
1: from that much more difficult. So let's talk about. Oh, wait, an- wait, 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 wait. Oh. You never gave the number. So the TSX in Harper's first term which was a short term because there was an election called shortly into that term. What did it do for return? Well, it was a negative 15.2%. Well, he should have been fired then. Exactly. He should have been fired as prime minister because the market returned negative 15%. And by the way, the interesting thing is because that period ended in October
2: of 2008, which as you recall, was right in the middle of that whole market meltdown. Obviously the markets were down a lot more than 15% that year and probably 35% if you look at a calendar year basis. Well, what about his second term though? What did the market
1: do? Interesting. Plus 40%. That he should have got a raise. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we're poking fun at this, but the point is that it's easy to do that because people try to correlate these things or to say that there's causation even, but I don't know, it's just chance in some cases. Because Justin Trudeau, the reason we're going on about this is that there was a report that came out and said the TSX underperformed the S&P 500 by 70% during Trudeau's current tenure as prime minister. And that's true. That's absolutely true. The TSX in that period of time, which is about six years or something like that, six and a half years, has returned about 48%, where the S&P 500 is up about 118%. That's a pretty good return, 118% when you think of it. Well, it is. It is. But I would argue it doesn't have much to do with Justin Trudeau, right? Exactly. Anyways, we can go on and on. This is kind of fun, but we don't need to go through every prime minister's tenure. The point of this exercise is you can look at how the markets
2: have performed, whether it's during the period of the election as the first study that I mentioned, where they looked at how did the market do during the month of the election itself, regardless of who ultimately won. We can look at how did the markets perform during the tenure of each prime minister or each political party in power at the time. And in the end, I think the conclusions we can draw are typically that it's very difficult to actually make a prediction how the market is going to perform regardless of what party wins.
1: I've got a prediction for you, Greg. Let's hear it. No matter who wins this next election, there will be performance on the stock market, positive or negative. It will perform for sure. Yeah, there will be something there.
2: Let's talk about one other aspect. And David Rosenberg, a well-known economist, wrote an article recently talking about the upcoming Canadian election. What he did focus on is that in the near term, you can actually see perhaps some differences in performance of individual sectors, but the election result is unlikely to have any kind of significant impact on the overall Canadian investment environment. So what do we mean by that? There are some differences in platforms between the Liberals and the Conservatives, for example. Oh, don't forget the other parties. Of course, the NDP, the Green, the- The Bloc. Bloc, and the new party, the People's Party. But I think the key thing is, if you look at some of the difference in platforms among the major leading parties at this point, there may be some significant differences between how they might approach certain sectors of the economy. For example, the oil and gas sector. And we know that, or we can expect that the liberals might be less friendly towards the oil and gas sector than the conservatives might be, if history is any guide in that regard. Like recent history, not like going back
1: of um, course. to
2: That's right. Diefenbaker days. Well, I mean you can certainly go back to Pierre Trudeau days, so which yeah, was true. not particularly energy friendly as most people that were around in the early 80s remember. But certainly there could be some issues with regards to getting approvals for oil and gas projects, things like that and that could have a negative impact depending on how the election goes. On the other hand, again, While there may be some impacts on the oil and gas sector, or even the telecom sector, there could be some effects on the telecom sector, the overall Canadian market likely
1: will not be generally affected in any long-term significant way. Well, that's just it. Because if your platform, and I don't care what party it is, is to say, use terms like, we want to get rid of those dirty tar sands, and that party wins the election. Well, then I guess if you're invested in a company that is oil sands, probably your stock price could have a negative return, but the overall market might not be reacting the same way.
2: Exactly. Now, I mean, as it turns out, I think the energy sector is currently about 12% weighting in the index. And so if you had a lot of very serious negative consequences in the energy sector, that could transfer through to the entire Canadian index. But again, we're going up against also right now, very
1: strong pricing and world oil and natural gas prices. And so Who knows? But you'd still need a majority government. That's correct. So currently we have a minority government, which I think the math is to have a majority, you have to win 170 seats. And currently there's something like 150 some odd seats. 153 currently held by the Liberals, I think. Right. So even if a party has a platform that says, and I use the term dirty tar sands because that's what environmentalists use to talk about oil sands when they- We use quotation marks around
2: (laughs) dirty oil. That's right.
1: Yeah. So if a certain government platform is determined to impact that industry, well, they would need to have a majority government before they could really do anything to impact it. But in the short term, the stocks of companies in that sector could underperform. Just like you talked about earlier, the market is quick to react, but also quick to forget. So in the short term, an energy company could trade down. In the long term, it might not. Exactly.
2: Now let's talk about one other thing. And you and I have talked about this on previous podcasts. How important is the Canadian stock market relative to the entire world stock market, the whole investing universe that Canadian and investors around the world have access to?
1: Well, I know- The facts are this, and again, it's just math, it's just numbers, they're just facts, is that Canada is about 3% of the world stock market. Right on. So, yes, if you have an investment portfolio that's 100% Canadian stocks, number one, you've got a whole bunch of risk just by having just stocks in your portfolio and no other asset classes. Number two, you've got a home country bias, which will lead you to have concentration risk in an area that's only 3% of the world. So you're spending 100% of your time on 3% of the world. Does that answer your question? It does. Yeah. Thank you very much. Would you like me to go on? No, okay. no. Well,
2: I mean, you're welcome to, of course. <laughs> I think the point is this. We always, as our listeners and our clients know, we harp on diversification, asset allocation and diversification, ways to control risk. And we've just spent the last 20, 25 minutes or so talking about how we don't believe that the election in Canada will ultimately have a particularly significant impact on the Canadian stock market. But let's say it did. Well, if you're well diversified globally, and and let's say there is a home country bias, and so instead of having 3% of our stocks invested in the Canadian market, we have 20% of our stocks invested in the Canadian market. That would be a reasonably strong home country bias by being overexposed by that amount. So even if we have 20% of our stocks, if our stocks are only 60% of our portfolio, and the Canadian market was affected by 2 or 3% on a relative basis, well, by the time it gets down to the effect on your portfolio, it would be very low. Yeah, pretty small numbers. Probably under 1%. And so, as always, by having that well-diversified portfolio, even if things that are beyond your control or unexpected happen, it still could have a relatively minor or insignificant impact on the portfolio as a whole.
1: Well, I would say that anybody who's listening to this, if they really are concerned about the outcome of the election affecting their investment portfolio, perhaps they want to revisit how they're investing. Right on. And we're happy to talk to people about that anytime. We've had a lot of referrals in the last couple of years as we've gone through this global pandemic and global economic shutdown. And it's because people have been in concentrated positions and they know there's a better way or they're coming to know there's a better way. That's right. So I think when you talk about Well, what's the outlook here,
2: regardless of what party gets elected? Well, I think there's a couple of things we know. We know that there's been a ton of stimulus provided to the economy through direct grants, through quantitative easing and things like that. And we know that all of the major parties are going to continue to provide the economy with lots of fiscal support until we get through this pandemic. And so regardless of which party wins, there's going to be lots more fiscal support, monetary support and efforts to keep the economy rolling along. So in the end, I think that regardless of who wins, there is no reason to think that the outlook would be particularly negative for any either sector or the market as a whole
1: in Canada. In the long term. In the long term, that's right. I agree 100%. I mean, we often talk about, well, what can investors do? And you've started this already. What can they do? Number one is probably have a plan, so you know what you're trying to accomplish. Number two is from the investment side is, Well, your plan is going to dictate how much risk you're going to have in your investment portfolio anyways, your asset allocation. Be diversified, as you mentioned. So diversify away anything like home country risk or sector bias or things like that. Maybe rebalance regularly and I don't know, keep your costs down. When you think about it, when we do planning, we take a long-term
2: view. Most of our financial plans are certainly long-term in nature. If the plans cover the period for the next 10 years or 20 years of retirement or what have you, We know that there's going to be lots of different elections, lots of changes of governments, changes of prime ministers, changes of U.S. presidents, and those plans, those ultimately will not affect the long-term financial plan that you've designed for yourself.
1: Exactly, because there's a famous quote, I've said it before, Greg, I can never remember who it is uh, attributed to, but the only thing constant is change. So even that question I had today about, well, when's the next market correction coming? It's a fair question because what the person is telling me is that they understand that these markets are cyclical and there will be a correction. It's just not a fair question to say, well, exactly when will it be? Whether it's a liberal majority, minority, conservative majority, minority, or other, maybe Green Party. Yep. Yep. <laughs> There's a chance. Sure there is. It's, it's way outside there, but maybe the block. Do you think the yep. block could ever win? Probably not, but- No. Not federally. <laughs> not federally, Yeah. I hope we didn't ruffle anybody's feathers, by the way, in this discussion. It's supposed to be kind of in fun. Hopefully everyone understands when we talk like this. What we're talking
2: about, again, are probabilities. And right now, the probabilities are leaning in favor of the liberals and the conservatives. Not to downplay the role that the other parties can have, the NDP and the bloc, etc., in minority governments. In the minority government of Trudeau recently and in any minority government in the future, there's always the rule for one of these other parties to essentially help dictate the direction. So, of course, there's a rule for all of those parties, but the reality is the odds
1: will be either a liberal or a conservative government. I got a funny fact to end this episode, Greg. The fact is this. Remember a guy named Joe Clark? I've heard of him, of course. Yeah, he's prime minister for, I don't know, a coffee. Short period of time, yes. Yeah, like six months or something like that. My dad went to university with Joe Clark and flunked political science with him. Oh. Joe Clark went on to become the prime minister of Canada. My dad did not, but... No. uh, (laughs) It's kind of funny. Well, maybe
2: Joe Clark would have been the prime minister longer had he not flunked political science.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who
2: knows? (laughs) Anyways, that about wraps up for today, hey? It does. I think we may sound like broken records, but every time we talk about what upcoming event is likely to have an impact on the stock market, we always end up at the same place. And that is, it's a market timing question and it's a very difficult one to try to predict. And for the most part, there's really nothing you can do about it and it's
1: very difficult to prepare for it. And are we recommending that people get out there and vote? Absolutely, we are. Yeah, of course. Go make your voice heard. That's yep. right. All right. Okay. Okay, well, till next
0: time. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminsky are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and its subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates, or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking, or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc. 2021.